Welcome back to another episode of the We Live to Build podcast. When startups think about how they will pay for things, they first think of bootstrapping with their own money. The goal is to either get to profit naturally or raise money from investors in order to fuel further growth. Very few people think about venture debt or the act of borrowing money in order to fuel growth. That's why I invited Paul Ong to be a guest with us today. Paul is a partner at Innovin Capital SEA which provides loans to companies backed by venture capitalists in the Southeast Asian region, including India and China. We talked about whether venture debt is something startups should consider and why. Despite not taking equity from your company, Innovin Capital, in particular, has a very clear value proposition. They can introduce your team to the rest of their portfolio. They can assist with further equity funding, mergers and acquisitions opportunities, hiring opportunities, and much more. So in essence, they act as if they're a partner in your company, even though they don't take equity, and they do this because they want to see you succeed. Because your success means they're increasing the chances that they're going to get paid back in full with interest. So I asked a few questions specifically, and there, do you get more leads from VCs or startups? How is marketing different for this kind of a firm? Why would a founder choose to work with you? What are the terms you normally ask for? What is deleveraging and how do you justify deleveraging to future investors? Do venture capitalists feel okay with the idea of their startup founders borrowing money from you and more? So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Paul. Let's get to it. Welcome to We Live to Build. My name is Sean Weisbrot, and I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and advisor based in Asia for over 12 years. Join us every week to fast track your personal growth so you can meet the ever-increasing demands of the company or companies you are passionately building. Time waits for no one, so let's get started now. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me, Paul. I really appreciate it. This is something that's probably not talked about very often, and it's something that I think the audience should know about because I always promote not selling equity if possible, although your model specifically is if you've sold equity, we'll lend you money. But I think this is a good potential for people to sell less equity in order to make what they've raised go further. So why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your firm, and we'll go from there. I'm Paul, and uh, I'm a partner at Innovin Capital Southeast Asia. Innovin Capital is Asia's largest venture debt provider with offices in India, in China, as well as in Singapore uh, for the Southeast Asian region. We have uh, grown to about uh, half a billion in AUM. We've worked with over 300 portfolio companies. We're lucky to count 22 of them that have grown into unicorns uh, now. You know, as you've mentioned, I think we fully focus on what is known to the market as venture debt, which is, you know, different uh, synergistic capital to venture capital. 
Um, and it's a tool that we hope to continue to educate the Asian market with such that more founders know of this avenue of capital to essentially help them grow. So off air, you had mentioned that you're in the process of raising your next fund is 200 million US dollars. And you were talking about how the biggest issue you discovered was educating the market. So even though probably the people listening aren't investors, it might be interesting for them to hear what you told me. I wish I recorded it when you said it because it was perfect. How as an investor, you're starting to understand the founder mindset. <laughs> Obviously, from, from where we sit um, as, as venture debt providers, you know, we're essentially on the buy side. Companies pitch us and, you know, if it's something that we like, we provide the capital to. We realize now that that's, you know, obviously a very different position uh, as compared to being uh, a founder with regards to having to, to raise capital to grow. That's essentially the, the, the fundraising process for us now as well. Going through the motions of that, you know, it is extremely stressful, it's extremely tiring, and I have a newfound respect for all entrepreneurs and all founders out there who essentially have decided or, or will decide to take the route of raising capital externally to grow their business. It's something that I've been through several times already. I used to raise funds for startups in China years ago. So I got a taste of what it was like to help others. And then when I started my own company, I started to realize it's actually very different helping others and doing it yourself. Because when I was helping others, it was like, okay, well, the investor says you need this thing. So go get that thing prepared for me. Sometimes it was like, fix your MVP, go tweak this thing, go tweak that. And then just kind of sit back and wait. But when you're the founder and an investor says, oh, we need to see users, you're like, oh, well, I need like another five months to make that happen. And the VC is like, well, all right, well, you know, I'll just, I'll sit back and I'll wait, come to me when you're ready. Whether you're helping someone or you're doing it yourself, it's hard. What's the most common way that someone finds you? Is it the investor trying to help their startup or is it a startup trying to get more money? It's actually a bit of both. Typically how people find us is, is a matter of how they look at utilizing what we do for their companies. And, and I'll, I'll shed a little bit more light on that. You know, us as venture debt guys, we, I think, have the fortunate or unfortunate role of being both a banker to the company as well as a banker to the founder. Traditionally, if you rock up to a bank, you it's, it's separate people. There's a private banker, there's a wealth person for you to talk to as a, an individual, and there is a, a merchant banker uh, for you to speak to as uh, for your business. And we have to do both those things. So the difference really comes in the form of what is a a founder or a company trying to achieve from raising this debt. Now, if it's a matter of dilution or if it's a matter of wanting to cheapen your cost of capital, that cost savings, typically it's to the founder and not to the company. If I as a founder raise equity, I'm diluting my shares. If I as a founder raise debt, the company is paying the interest to the lender. So the messaging and the utility really sort of differs. We get more introductions from from VCs when there's a specific utility, a specific use case that they want us to uh, explore. So for example, if a B2B SaaS company has a growing receivables book, or if a hardware company needs you know, more financing to uh, for inventory or production, 
um, you know, that's typically when we get the leads from VCs. But otherwise, generally, um, the leads are organic through founders. As Venture Debt guys also across, at least I speak for us in Asia, we try and plug ourselves uh, into the, the ecosystem as much as possible because we need to have a deep relationship on both sides um, for us to, to be able to uncover the leads and educate the market in the way that we believe it needs to be done best. Are VCs your competitors? You get leads from them, but it feels like you're also trying to compete with them for startups' attention. We don't see ourselves as competitors. We see ourselves really as a synergistic party, a partner to to what they do. You know, that being said, I think uh, there's always going to be a level of competition between capital providers, be it venture debt versus venture capital, or even venture capital versus venture capital. And I think that part of the equation is there and remains and, and will remain uh, and is healthy. Generally, they understand that the value we bring to companies is different. What's more important is is them understanding us and who we are and vice versa. Because when you understand a lender in terms of where their money is coming from and how uh, whether or not they are a responsible party, those things could affect anyone's portfolio companies going forward. So, you know, we always make sure that uh, as far as possible, our communication channels with the VCs are extremely open. Uh, we're happy to share insight and info about the companies we work with, especially the portfolio companies of those VCs. And, you know, bottom line is be honest. You mentioned talking about the process. So I want to go a little bit deeper on that. So why would a founder choose to work with you? And what is your process for determining whether or not to loan them money? So typically when we start to look at whether or not a company makes sense for us to lend to, there are certain parameters that generally we look at. The kind of companies that we look for as a start they are companies that are in the technology space and they're burning money. So they're not profitable. There's still a cash burn for growth, et cetera. So we look at the cash balance and then we look at the business model and try and assess whether or not we believe a company can either be a market leader in its own right, in its own vertical, or achieve some sort of sizable market share. Um, the next thing we look at is, is essentially the uh, cap table and whether or not there is the presence of one VC uh, and two VCs that we are familiar with and that we've worked with before and have a relationship, etc. So these things help us to assess the ability of a company to be able to stay healthy and continue to grow such that they are able to at least raise an additional funding round. In terms of founders wanting to work with us, the value that we bring from the financial product that we put forward, that value differs from what VCs provide. So clearly it's a cheaper option and one in which uh, a founder could then utilize to actually help grow its business by the same point in time, protect their uh, shareholding base. Which ultimately, if all goes well, and if we're talking about a company that, you know, is a unicorn and is, uh, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar company, potentially could save a founder millions and millions of dollars. And we've seen that 
for you know several of our founders. Um, but outside of that, I think it comes down to one the reputation of of how we've operated in the market. So we've been operating you know in Southeast Asia for six years. We've been operating in India for fourteen years. In both those instances, we were there at the start of when technology ecosystems in the in the regions were starting to blossom.、Uh, being plugged in into the ecosystem and working with、uh, both VCs and, and companies over、uh, and founders across that time, I think we've just garnered a very strong、uh, reputation as a, a lender that can be trusted and that can bring other value to the table. What I mean from that other value is. Uh, a couple of things. We're a fund that is owned by Tomasic, which is the Singaporean the sovereign wealth fund, as well as a bank called UOB Bank, which is a highly acclaimed regional bank headquartered in Singapore that has footprint all across Southeast Asia. We bring our portfolio companies into both. The ecosystems of our two stakeholders、uh, on the Tomastic side, you know, there's a lot more introductions that we can make with regards to you know larger funds. Under the Tomasic umbrella, that are potentially able to do larger debt deals at future rounds, or even equity deals at future rounds for our companies.、Uh, and on the UOB side, you know, we're talking about operational finance、uh, across the region. So, if a company needs to expand in,、uh, from Indonesia to Malaysia, for example, etc., you know, we hope to leverage UOB to be able to support these companies as they grow across the region with regards to. Opening bank accounts, FX, you know, invoice financing and trade finance and things like that. That's a big part of, I think, the extra sort of value that we bring. And over time, I think the the other interesting、uh, value that、uh, we bring that I think attracts founders is the fact that India and Southeast Asia, for example, there's a lot of synergies with regards to business models that work. The founders of of、uh, Indian startups are very intrigued by what's happening out here in Southeast Asia, and if you look at Southeast Asia, the founders are very inspired by the growth of their counterparts. You know, similar industries, similar business models in India. Us having a strong presence in both these countries actually allow us to connect these guys to impart insights that otherwise not be as easy to be derived and then shared, so that you know the entire portfolio or parts of the portfolio can grow. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. So we have a portfolio in India called Oil, which is you know about to be a listed company in the accommodation space. They are essentially counterpart in Southeast Asia. A company called Reddoz, and our familiarity with oil in India has helped us to make an investment and and work with Reddoz. And Reddoz understood that us understanding the model and us understanding how the business operated, you know, really sort of went a long way to them trusting us. I've been traveling for the last fifteen, sixteen years around the world, and as I go through different countries, I try to stay for a month or two at a time in each place. And doing so gives me the ability to start creating little networks everywhere I go, and I've found tremendous value in that. As an individual, as a founder, because let's say I go to Singapore and I meet a friend who's from Greece, and then later two years I will need to go to Greece. This guy knows people in Greece that I can reach out to, and then when I get to Greece, I can meet the people that they know and see what's going on there. So, as a, a firm that helps people like that, I see tremendous potential. So, 
Uh, it's really good that you're able to do that, especially when there's potential for acquisitions and mergers and public listings and foreign markets and things like that. And and you add on the fact that uh, I think there's a huge talent pool in Asia that would love to gain experience in a different part of the region. The transfer of talent is also something that working with, with so many companies in, in different sort of uh, markets in Asia, that helps us to, to help facilitate that as well, potentially. That's why my company is Singaporean. My team is in the Philippines for the most part. We've got some people in Pakistan and India and, and Malaysia as well. And like, and I've invested personally across Asia. So I definitely see that Asia has a huge potential because the talent is there. They just need guidance and an opportunity. Let's go into the terms that you offer companies when you decide to loan them money. This is a blanket sort of summary, but it's typically a term loan with a tenure of somewhere between two to three years. What that basically means is that we provide the capital up front and it gets paid back essentially on a monthly basis, principal plus a little bit of interest every month for the life of uh, the tenure of the loan. We do that because what we want to ensure is that as a company continues to grow, especially one that's cash burning, that they are deleveraging at the same time. A big point of trying to utilize venture debt is that the money that you borrow, depending on how it's spent, essentially should make a company be more attractive to a future round of investors rather than take away from that attraction. And what we've realized is that companies that don't deleverage, let's say you you borrowed 5 million, prefer to pay 5 million all at one shot after like two years or three years. And that takes away from the allure of a company um, in the eyes of potential future investors on the equity side, because they know that their money that's going into the company is being utilized to pay a chunk of debt as compared to being spent uh, on growth. So that's the reason why we sort of do that. What I've been taught is that investors don't want to invest in a company that has debt because they feel like the money they're giving you is being used to pay off debt rather than fuel growth. So how can you justify deleveraging to a future investor? I don't think that what you were taught is inaccurate. I think that the devil is always in the details. There's a big difference in paying off a dollar a month of a loan versus not paying anything and paying everything at the end of the loan. Uh, And what I mean is that by the time an investor looks at your round, let's say you're raising 18 months after you've raised your debt and have started repaying, what the investor is looking at is a much smaller loan outstanding quantum as compared to if you didn't pay half of that back and you're still sitting with paying off the entire sum of the loan that you initially borrowed at the end. If you had borrowed five and you paid back half, that would be 2.5 that a potential investor is seeing. If you borrow five and, and you didn't pay anything off, then that's five. And from an investor standpoint, the way the cash goes out of a company and the speed of that plays a big part in what they would be worried about. If I were a VC, the way I would look at it is if I've given you 10 million, I want you to spend that 10 million in 12 to 24 months. Hopefully there's like a 15 to 18 month bar. So I would expect there to be no debt because everything is going into fuel and growth. If I see my founder then go and raise 3 million from you and they're then using maybe some of the money that I've given them to pay you back, that's money that's not going into fueling their growth, even though they also got the 3 million to help fuel growth. If a VC gave a company $3 million and they borrowed, you know, let's say a million from us, the total amount of capital that a company would have to spend on growth 
is four million, and that one million would then have to be repaid over, let's call it three years. So essentially, what you are doing is you are leveraging the dollars that you bring in as a founder to unlock even more capital to bring you nearer term value, such that when you need to go out to market again, you incorporate that value into your valuation, for example. And then the idea of the dollar cost that you then use that you're bringing in to pay off the remaining debt, which is still being paid over time, is essentially cheaper. Have you spoken with VCs about this concept? Do they generally find this something digestible? I won't lie. I think it's debatable because VCs themselves have capital to deploy on their end. I think the way they think about that being provided to their companies is really on a case-by-case basis with regards to how those companies can utilize that money. The reason I ask is because I'm thinking about this from the point of view of a founder and an investor at the same time and trying to go, I know that from the start of a company, the founder and the investor's goals are different. And how do you remain aligned so that the relationship is positive as you move forward? Because as a lot of people have told me, when you raise equity funding from investors, you're basically married to them until the company has an exit. So it's really important to maintain a positive relationship with your investor. And I think this question also goes to the kind of investor they are, because there might be investors that go, you know what, I have billions of dollars I can throw at you. So like, don't worry about these guys, just come to me and I'll give you more money because they would rather increase the amount of equity that they hold in your company where others might go, oh, you can save me the energy and, and the time of potentially losing more money. Sure, let's do it go for these guys, right? So, so as you said, it, it's very poignant to me that it's not just who the founder is, it's also who their investor is. And if your company can fit into that relationship, because my assumption, I guess, from your side is also, we want to loan you money. We hope you're successful and you pay us back. And if you are, we'd love to give you more money. Why is it that you specifically got interested in working in this area? In lending, that's a that's a great question that I ask myself uh, all the time, sort of coming out from school. So I I went to school and and you know obviously did did finance, got my 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 bachelor of finance. You know at that time I think I had greater interest to go into the world of wealth management. Something that they don't teach you in school though, or at least the school that I went to, is the ability to assess companies from a credit standpoint. And I believe that after learning a lot about credit, I think you can actually tell a lot about any company by being able to use that credit lens and break it down via its annual report, etc. And so I wanted to bolster, just learn about credit and wasn't a course in school. And therefore I thought, okay, the best way to do it is coming out of school. Let's get a job in essentially the, uh, the corporate bank or the, uh, you know, the lending side of the business. So I joined, you know, DBS, which is uh, another regional bank that's headquartered in, in, in Singapore and owned my credit skills. And I realized that it was something that, you know, really was beneficial to me, not just in terms of sort of growing a career. But personally, when I, you, you look at, uh, you know, investing in stocks, for example, with a totally different light, having that power and that ability to look at any stock, both of the equity lens as well as the credit lens. Is there anything you'd like to add or any advice you'd like to leave the audience with? We've always got to be honest and responsible. If we get people in for a ride, we got to get them out, whatever the situation. It sounds like you feel responsible for the teams that you lend to. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, and I think uh, look, at the end of the day, I think a, a, a big reason why sometimes debt has a little bit of a taboo is because if, if you're unfamiliar with, with, with borrowing or if you're borrowing, if, if you're borrowing, you know, too much, you always fear a situation in which, you know, what happens if, if things go south and you can't pay you back, etc. Well, whilst I won't go into what happens then, because I think once again, it's, it's, it's highly situational. It, from a lender's perspective, it doesn't bring any positive vibes whatsoever for us to have to react or act in a, in a bad way. Once again, we have to be responsible for uh, our stakeholders and at the same point in time, balance out us being responsible to the, the portfolio companies that we work with. Sounds like a heavy burden. <laughs> always, always. So how can people follow up with you? Find me on LinkedIn um, or my email address is paul at innovancapital.com. Uh, I'm happy to speak to anyone or have a conversation and you know share more about what we do as well as to give tips and, and, and suggestions as to how people should navigate taking loans. If you liked this episode, definitely reach out to Paul. This was a fantastic look into venture debt. Entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. So take care of yourself every day. And if you're looking to have a little bit of an extra runway to get your company further, then don't forget to think about borrowing money as a potential source to do so. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Sean.